Welcome to the Little Red Podcast, which brings you China from beyond the Beijing Beltway. I'm Graham Smith from the Australian National University's Department of Pacific Affairs, and I'm joined by my co-host Louisa Lim, former China correspondent for the BBC and NPR, now with the Centre for Advancing Journalism at Melbourne University. We're on air thanks to support from the Australian Centre on China in the World. This month, we're looking at a campaign that's quietly reshaping the entire governing system of China's Communist Party. The idea of core socialist values was first introduced in 2013. Last year, the Central Committee announced it would fully incorporate socialist core values in all legislation in the next five to ten years. So, what does this mean, and what does it tell us about Xi Jinping's vision for China? This month, we're joined by Delia Lin of the University of Melbourne's Asia Institute, who's going to inculcate us with core socialist values. Let's start with a musical interlude.、Uh, here's an award-winning song which helpfully lists the twelve core socialist values for us. So, these values are things like prosperity, democracy, civility, harmony, freedom, equality, justice, rule of law, patriotism, dedication, credibility, and friendship. Now, these sound so anodyne, but just how important are these core socialist values to how the party sees itself? So, those twenty-four. Or compound values, there are twenty-four words there.、Uh, there are actually values at different levels. So there were four national values. The first four are national values, and the second four are social values, and the last four are individual values.、Uh, if we go from top down, so the national values are more important than the social values, and then the individual values, and then left to right.、Um, so there was a order of priority there. And they're very important. I I think、uh, people can say that well, this is the、uh, same old because some people might think that this is、uh, sounds familiar、uh, because moral construction has always been at the height of、uh, political agenda in China and also in、um, in ancient philosophies of Confucianism as well. So it doesn't.、Um, uh, It's it's it doesn't come didn't come as a big surprise to us. It was first introduced in 2012 at、uh, Hu Jintao's report to、uh, the 18th Congress, and he first、um, introduced those 24 values as part of harmonious society agenda. But that was the end of it, the end of uh, of uh, Hu Jintao era. Of course, we know that the Xi Jinping era came after that. So it was picked up by Xi Jinping, and it's become really big. If anyone who goes to China now. Uh, the billboards that they see are socialist core values. Anywhere you go,、uh, any museum you visit, any、uh, railway stations, or、uh, anywhere you go, basically you see the billboards of socialist core values. But I mean, I think we're quite used to seeing billboards of things like the China Dream, these kind of slogans that we almost discount. Is so core socialist values? Do you think it's more important than something like the Chinese Dream? 
That's a very good question. Uh, China Dream was introduced by Xi Jinping as two uh, centenary dreams um, by year 2021 and also 2049, uh, what China would be like. That's uh, like harmonious society is a general uh, term uh, that all the government agendas are couched in. And social core values is almost like the kind of moral landscape the Communist Party is designing for the entire nation and society and also individuals to realize that dream. It's how you get there, how you how you remote yourself um, in line with those core social values to get China there. So, I mean, let's talk about how you, as you say, remold yourself to core socialist values. I think we have a cartoon on one core socialist value, which is the value of democracy. Um, And he is a cartoon character called Big Head Sun, who in his school, he's learning about this value. What we see is Big Head Sun's class of voting for a class monitor, uh, and they're all lining up on either side behind who they're voting for, and Big Head Sun gets voted in as class monitor. My crucial question is, does democracy mean the same as democracy might mean in in the West? Yeah, definitely not. And mind you, not only democracy, but also freedom. It's also part of the 24 core socialist values and also rule of law, which are at the heart of a liberal democracy, are all part of core socialist values. Let's go back a little bit and talk about this morality campaigns that started we can really go all the way back to Confucianism. But let's talk about contemporary China, talk about the CCP. Um, so we're familiar with the terms like spiritual civilization, uh, familiar with the terms um, morality, governing the country in accordance with the morality. Now, this time, core social values is a bit different from the previous morality campaigns in the sense that previously, morality campaigns are separate to the building of law or separate to other public policies. It's just something on the side uh, that there were officers and, and people work on it. You can apply for most civilized family. You can apply for a most civilized person and all that. But now uh, what China wants to do is to use core social values as a part of uh, kind of driving force for the law building as well. And that's something new to integrate core social values as part of the ideology as part of socialism with the child's characteristics, to integrate that into all public policies, even foreign policies, and uh, and also law building. And that's something new, and that's something uh, that really has attracted my attention and, and also my colleagues as well. Now, back to your question of those values sound really good, and sound that it sounds like they're similar to a liberal democracy, democracy and freedom, and liberty, everybody wants that, and rule of law. But they don't really mean exactly the same. I think we need to be uh, very careful with that. We do not know the state ideology of China is socialism with the Chinese characteristics. And the definition of it, even the term of it, has gone through a few stages of development. But kind of that stage of development has lost in translation because we've always translated socialism with the Chinese characteristics as one, but actually the Chinese term has changed over time. For a very long time, this sort of ideology is like a walking zombie. 
It's there, but it's not there. We really, no one cares. It's like, it's dead, it's buried, but we know it's there, but we don't know it's there. But this time under Xi Jinping, I think the difference is that Xi Jinping is really trying to build an institution that is separate from liberal democracy. And this is no secret. Uh, so he's trying to build a new political party system. We may call it a kind of an advanced form of dictatorship. We may call it advanced form, a, a different type of capitalism. But of course, in China, it's called socialism. Maybe it's authoritarian capitalism. Uh, we don't know how to call it. But certainly what China is certain about is that it's systematically and institutionally building a system different from the West. And before China was still trying to play by the ear uh, to say, well, okay, um, capitalism is great, market economy is great, it can really boost China's economy, and how do we make our political institution um, fit into this this kind of capitalist structure or market-oriented kind of economic structure? But now this kind of experiment has ended. Now China is seriously building a, a system that we have never seen before it's um, uh, there is continuity we can see, but but also what's certain is that it's very different. It's it's very different from liberal democracy, and China rejects it. So if China rejects liberal democracy, or or rejects liberal democratic capitalism, then why does China does CCP still use some of the terms in liberal democracy? I mean, one thing I found very interesting reading um, reading about this deal is that Xi Jinping admits that he admires liberal democracy in terms of the values and that he sees the stability of liberal democracies coming from shared values. But where he departs is he says, well, they're not our values. But just to get back to some of these words and the meaning of them, um, one poster that struck me uh, was advertising freedom as a socialist core value. And the poster said, quote, freedom is not a wild horse. Freedom requires the control of reins and a rider. So does this mean that some of these core socialist values that sound great are almost Orwellian doublespeak? They, they mean the exact opposite of how we might uh, define them in the West. Um, you're right, uh, absolutely right, Graham. So they sound exactly the same, but the meaning is actually opposite. And also the philosophical foundation is the opposite as well. So, for example, Minju um, democracy, and I've taken a lot of posters. So what you've just quoted is one of the posters I've taken of... Um, of um, uh, freedom because um, core social values are posted everywhere in China and in different parts um, the posters look differently and also with different explanations. That's what I, I found really interesting because the posters, the billboards in China don't just show those 24 values and different uh, different cities, different offices would actually have their own explanations and I've been taken Posters. I've been taking photos, posters everywhere in China. Everywhere I go, that I would, I would take pictures. And what interests me is that there was no uh, clear definition or no one definition of what democracy means. And um, every poster I take actually has a different definition of of democracy, and has a different different definition of a freedom. Uh, some of the sounds a bit more aspirational than the others. Uh, the one that you've just quoted was one that I took from uh, Nanjing, and the poster says that. Uh, Freedom is about uh, giving you constraints. It's about constraints. Freedom is not about a wild horse running wild in a field, uh, 
Freedom is really about knowing who the riders are, and knowing the reins, and know what the constraints are. That's what freedom is about. And so, what is democracy about? Democracy is about the minority. It's about it's about Marxist democracy, and it's about minority submits to the majority. So democracy is about people democracy. So every even though every post has got different wording of what democracy means, um, but what they have in common is about democracy. It's about 人民民主 people democracy. So it's not about individual rights. There's no there's no individual rights built into it. It's about the minority submits to the majority, which is a kind of Chinese Marxist, but Leninist, what we call it, but、um, idea. That's that's how they define it. I mean, how is the Communist Party now using these to kind of justify and legitimate its rule? It's all very well, but kind of Orwellian redefining、yeah. these terms and giving them their own meaning. But how is it then harnessing this language and using it、um, as a tool of legitimation? Yeah, absolutely.、Um, from a liberal democratic perspective, nothing makes sense here. But from <laughs> from the Chinese Communist perspective, everything makes sense because. Uh, the kind of legitimacy of the CCP is built upon、uh, this kind of premise that the interests of the people, the people as a general sense, because an individual can be a friend of the people one day and enemy of the people the other day. So people is a very the, the word "enemy" is a political. Concept in China, so not everyone is part of the people.、So、yeah, I find to, that fascinating. Yeah, so some people to, like enemies of the state are not technically people. people. That's people.、Right. They're not human, exactly.、Yeah. So that's really built into the core of、uh, I call it transformational citizenship. Is that everyone, every single citizen,、um, is basically treated by default as a non-human first. That you are, you cannot be trusted. You cannot be trusted to be your own, to be autonomous moral agent. You need to be molded. You need to be shaped in some way. So everybody is put in that in that position. And then if you prove yourself to be worthy, prove yourself to be part of the people,、uh, then you may be trusted in a particular context. But doesn't mean you can be trusted in a different context. So, but but anyway, go back to the question of legitimacy.、Um, the premise of the、uh, Communist Party rule that、uh, why Communist Party says that this one party rule or political party、uh, new political party system is more superior to liberal democracy、uh, is that they believe that the interests of the people, mind you, people is a political concept, and interests of the nation are in complete harmony. Interests of the people and interests of the society are in complete harmony. That's a premise, and we know that in reality this cannot be true because we see conflict of interest all the time, and and each individual is in conflict. And sometimes we we believe that something is right, but then sometimes we do something wrong for whatever reasons. So we are always in conflict, and we need always. And values do not really agree with each other. If you look at the twenty-four values, they do not agree with each other. Actually, they are in conflict. <laughs> Because if you say freedom is one of the core values of the society, and then you've got patriotism as the number one value of an individual, what if those two are in conflict? And this is the same with the Confucian governing. The values that are proposed by Confucian governing again are in conflict with one another. So, for example, filial piety, xiao, is in conflict with, for example, yi, this loyalty to the nation or zhong even. So they are in conflict. 
And so Confucianism is always caught in this paradox. And the same with the core socialist values is caught in this paradox. And it cannot be resolved. And, and what, it, what it brings is that human beings are always then in conflict because you, you cannot satisfy all the 24 values. And they are not, they're not in harmony. But the premise of the Communist Party rule is that those interests are in harmony. That's a promise. You don't argue. You know, one cannot argue against it. You just have to accept it. So once one accepts that all the three levels of interest are in complete harmony, then what you need to do as an individual, then you always need to see what the national interest is and what the interests of the people are and then try to align your own personal interests with that. I mean, this is this is fascinating. Dude. It sounds a lot like a, a socialist reboot of the traditional Confucian and also legalist approach to statecraft. Um, when the emperor is reading, and, and if you follow this through to its conclusion, is Xi Jinping leading the nation by moral example as a kind of rebooted emperor figure? Um, yeah, Graham, that's exactly the dilemma that, um, or the conundrum that I think Xi Jinping is facing, because the party members are not really uh, giving good examples of uh, of uh, uh, perfectly moral agents. If one really want to implement this morality politics, um, then um, because what's in building this morality politics, this type of morality. Uh, politics that can be traced back to Confucianism and legalism is that uh, the leader has to be a moral example. Um, is that the leader is um, uh, because what, what's what's really um, embedded in this type of morality politics is that it doesn't it it, it sort of has this strong belief uh, that a person who is who has the power also owns that moral authority. And we know that in reality, this is difficult because power corrupts and absolute powers tend to corrupt absolutely. Uh, that's just human nature. So that's why liberal democracy focuses on checks and balances of power because power cannot be trusted. Whereas in morality politics, it wants to create a kind of regime, a kind of uh, governing uh, principle that the leaders, the people in power can be fully trusted. And so that's why this kind of morality politics does not focus on checks and balances on the power, but it focuses on transformation, focuses on this um, perfection of morality of the leaders. But we know this is difficult because when someone has power, someone then can do whatever he or she wants and it's very easy to get corrupted. And that's a conundrum that Xi Jinping is facing because that's why he was so um, harsh on this anti-corruption campaign and also asking the party leaders to remember their initial intentions, to not forget that party members are there to sacrifice their personal interests for the sake of the people, to work for the people. But um, but that's very difficult because with this economic development and people who were the beneficiaries are often the people who actually had political power. That's what is known in Chinese society. So that is why in this whole law building that Xi Jinping and his um, followers really focus on the self-discipline, really focus on disciplining the party members and also the general public. And hopefully those people in power would also discipline themselves to the moral examples as well. Um, 
Adela, I'll just get in because this is sort of a follow-up to to that question. Um, I mean, it, it also seems to have echoes of Chiang Kai-shek's New Life movement, um, which you know wasn't terribly successful, but was also built around um, four neo-Confucian virtues. But in the end, it wasn't taken seriously because um, a lot of it focused on uh, Chiang Kai-shek's own prescriptions for a good moral life, which included some somewhat silly things like uh, taking lots of cold baths and cold showers and, and never bathing in warm water. Um, so it was sort of seen as the Nationalist Party mumbling to itself. I mean, can this sort of thing go beyond that movement, which is sort of seen as silly, meaningless words? I, I totally agree with you that, Graham, that uh, uh, this really echoes uh, New Life Movement and what the uh, Nationalist Party did, because National Party or Kuomintang KMT uh, was well known for that as well, to promote Confucian values. And, and hopefully that uh, uh, people would just voluntarily become more moral people and their party members would become more moral um, and failed miserably because there so many stories where uh, that the government officials, those officials, came to officials would do whatever they wanted. But if there were inspectors coming in, then they would do something different and they would hide their mahjong um, under the table. And once the inspectors were gone, then, then they, they, they started playing mahjong again. So it's kind of performance. This is happening in in the in the mainland as well in in all moral campaigns. So contemporary China is or modern China, if we if we take Republic uh, of China into account, has never been short of all those moral campaigns, be it um, New Life Movement, or be it all the civil spiritual civilization campaigns, or or be it uh, or governing the nation in accordance with morality. And there were so many different slogans, the four, five, four, four halves or five loves and all that, all the slogans that require the citizens to be molded into socialist citizens or under, under KMT that was different uh, type of citizens. And perhaps we could say that none of this has has succeeded. But I mean, what's different this time seems to be the fact that this is now being baked into the legal system. So it's being legislated. It is a matter of legal necessity to perform these core socialist values. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about how that actually works in practice? This is still sort of work um, in progress. And um, for example, the uh, Supreme People's Court have published policies made to say that uh, we need to implement core socialist values into every process of lawmaking and also implementation of law or judicial processes and all that. So uh, we've seen those policies coming up and also the example cases published by Supreme People's Court to to demonstrate how those court decisions uh, or those the, the decisions of the cases were based upon uh, core socialist values. But if you look at the exemplary cases, there were so many, the Supreme People's Court published 10 exemplary cases, but they published more later on. But if you look at the exemplary cases and how they couch the court decisions in terms of core social values, it's quite fascinating in the sense that one would wonder that whether they would have decided on the case differently if there were no core socialist values, but you never knew. But what happens with those exemplary cases is that the court would say, well, this case was decided in certain in this way because this person violated, not, not to say this person violated particular law, but to say the person violated one of the core socialist values, be it credibility or be it friendship, be it uh, rule of law, meaning that the person wasn't obeying the law. So that's quite quite fascinating, became the reasons, the rationale for a court decision. 
So can you give us an example? Just off the top of my head, uh, for example, this particular case about a group of villagers, they occupied apartments sort of illegally because they were not happy with the local government allocation of their uh, the size of the apartment because they were villagers and they the land was taken away yeah. and they were uh, allocated with apartments for free. But those people, those few people, were the first group of lot of people who were allocated with the apartments and they were obeying the laws because they were the first lot and they the the other people who were allocated apartments they were allocated bigger apartments they were also given some of the incentives but they were not giving anything. They were just basically obeying the laws. And they tried to talk to the local government about it, but there was no solution. So what they did is that then they occupied more apartments to get a bigger space so that they could get the same sort of size of space than other people. And they refused to return the keys. So then those people were charged. And then the reason for being charged was because they were against some of the core social values. And that's what, in the explanation of the decision-making, then core social values were quoted to say that they violated rule of law because they were not obeying the law, they were not supposed to occupy those apartments, and also and there was friendship as well. So there's real-life consequences to these core social values. They're not just slogans like we've seen in the past about the three represents and so forth. They, they will actually have real-life consequences for Chinese citizens. Yeah, and in the recent uh, morality construction guidelines, because that's an important document published this year, because there were only two such guidelines being published. One is in 2001 and the other is this year. And you actually could see uh, big differences in those two documents. And one of the differences is that it is very clear in these documents, because this uh, guideline was published by the Central Committee, and um, uh, one of the uh, key elements is that there would be a very clear reward and discipline system built into core social values. So if one violates core social values, there will be punishment. If one obeys it, if one can justify that one is obeying those core social values, then there will be a reward system built into it. So is it the case that core socialist values can be used as a reason, for example, for people being sent to political indoctrination camps in the northwestern province of Xinjiang? Very easily, because Aigua, love the country, is considered as number one core social values. Patriotism. Patriotism, so loving the country. So if one is deemed to violate this one core social value, and also the term is also interesting. Before we talk about three represents or, or five, five, four halves and five loves and all that, they, are, they don't sound as serious as core social values because core social values really means they are the core values of the nation and they are tied with core interests of the nation as well. And this has already happened. The nation can reject some of the international collaboration for accusing the collaboration of violating one of the core social values because core values are tied with core interests 核心价值, of the nation as well. It is not just um, uh, just a, any morality campaign we have seen. It actually uh, has the potential for being the driving force of uh, a lot of domestic and national policies of China. So what you're saying is that China's effectively like reshaping its political system, according to this morality campaign, yeah. 
And that dissent is not just a political issue, it's a moral issue and a legal issue as well. Exactly, and all combined together. So when you do something, before when you do something, let's just say do something that is illegal, that's illegal, they'll be judged by the court and all that. But now it's not just illegal, it's also immoral and it's also wrong. So what is wrong and right? So the country basically is reshaping people's vision, people's ideas of what is right or wrong. It it seems there's in some ways a a political risk to this because as you mentioned with the nationalists the problem was that the nationalists didn't live up to these moral values that they were trumpeting day after day and I mean I've, I've seen this in the transformation of say for example Beijing in that it seems there is now almost no opportunity to engage in anything that might be considered fun, you know, whether it's going to a small whiskey bar or or some outlandish mafia hangout like chocolate. They've all been closed down. I mean, is this part of the, the core socialist values campaign that there are now for party officials no opportunities, if you like, to to sort of stray from the, the right path, that the, the state is effectively closing down their opportunities um, to engage in, in immoral activities? Before the Xi Jinping time, there was a lot of space for individual pursuit of happiness, individual, their own definition of what their interests are. And even if you look at 2001 citizen morality construction guidelines by the Central Committee, uh, there were still sentences saying that, yes, you can pursue your personal interests, but just try to still be prepared to sacrifice for the nation, for the state. But in the in 2019 citizen morality construction guidelines, there's absolutely no mention of pursuing individual interests or individual happiness. There was no mention of it. And it says very clearly that everyone should place the interests of the state and society above their personal interest. And I mean, the other thing is, in the past, people tend to understand, you say the lines, you walk the walk, but then yeah. in your own time, you do something different. There was still some personal space. In the the space, space. yeah. To, but now that space is closing up. It's That's gone. for sure, it's gone. It's being legislated it's out of existence. out of existence. And so then uh, that means that you just have to be part of the the machine, part of the machine of the society. But you can, you can still pursue your own interests, but in the economic sense, earning more money. And also in that citizen, citizen moral construction uh, guidelines, it's very clearly align your own dream, talking about dream, your personal dreams, with the national, the dream of the nation, the dream of the society. So it asks all the citizens to do that, to align that with with the, uh, with the national, the dream of the nation, the dream of society. So align your individual values, your individual interests, your individual pursuit of the happiness with the pursuit of the China dream. So, so throwing this forward, Delia, I mean, what do you think this, this massive ideological campaign um, tells us about the kind of China that we're likely to see over the next um, 10 to 20 years? I mean, what, you know, looking through the lens of what we, we see now, what do you see down the track um, for China? Uh, the rest of the world is going to be dealing with a China that is um, very different from, from their own. Has a, uh, because this core social values is not just integrated into legislation, integrated into public policies, domestic, international policies, foreign policies and all that. It's also into, integrated into education as well. Uh, we've just listened to the song. Uh, that's a kid's song. That's a children's song. And uh, uh, China has many has, has a campaign of recruiting songs around social core values and uh, school children were required to recite them, uh, to uh, memorize them. So 
China is building a citizenship that would place the interests of the nation, interests of society, before their own interest, their own pursuit, and also the nation defines the purpose of of them as a human being. So basically, see human beings as an object for nation building, and this can be internalized through the whole education. From kindergarten all the way up to really define what it means to be human, and how successful would that be? We do not know. But given the record, China is the CCP is very determined, and、uh, they they have control over the whole education process.、Uh, so once that is is internalized,、uh, once that become、uh, the core values or, or or become part of psychological development of individuals or the most of them. Uh, then we we are indeed dealing with a very different. We've been seeing quite、country. alarming news trickling out from China.、Um, I think a lot of people saw the picture of library books being burnt. I think it was in Gansu, Gansu. Province.、Mm-hmm. Uh, we also are hearing that religious texts like the Bible are being rewritten.、Mm-hmm. These are things that it seems might be driven by core socialist values.、Mm-hmm. I mean, do do you think that core socialist values could pose a threat to Western civilization? I, I think so.、Um, it's kind of the foundation of a dip- different type of regime、uh, that really redefines what it means to be human. That's quite fundamental because we, we talk about moral, how to be in morality. If we go back to Immanuel Kant, go back to all those、um, philosophies that built essential part of liberal democracy and what freedom means. Core socialist values is opposite to all of it. If a person Is to be free. I mean, there were so many different definitions of freedom, but a person should be able to choose his or own path. Should be able to choose her own purpose, agency, and that's extremely important. And that's absolutely at the core of of、uh, liberal democracy. Whereas, what Kosovo's values means that、um, you are an object of the nation, and that the nation has decided on your purpose, and your personal values, your personal dreams, need to be aligned with. The purpose and the dream of the nation, of the of of the China dream, so that redefines how you see the world, how you see the people around you, and how you see yourself. For me, it's it's bringing back parallels of what children were expected to be in the Maoist era. I mean, there's a, a great quote from Dai Qing when she talks about how she saw herself as a screw、um, to fit within the communist machine, and and that was her purpose in life. I mean, this is really、um, sounding a lot like that. Mm. But it's described in a moral sense. I mean,、uh, under Mao Zedong, I mean, everybody was a screw on the in the machine and Mao Zedong and everyone. That's called Lei Feng. So Lei Feng is back, and in the 2019 um, citizen uh, morality construction uh, guidelines, Lei Feng is actually in there in in the document. So、uh, yes, Lei Feng is back, but now it's sort of couched in a more sort of moral sense, and it's not in a revolutionary sense. So it's it's the same thing, it's the same idea that you are not an autonomous agent. You're first of all a、uh, national. You're not first of all an individual. So in that sense, it's a, it's the same, but it's captured in a very different. From different what way you've been、today. saying, this is foundational. This、yeah. is reshaping everything that、mm-hmm. we have thought of as the ideology、mm-hmm. of the Chinese Communist Party.、Mm-hmm. Why am I not hearing about this? Is the rest of the world kind of asleep at the wheel for something which could actually? Become incredibly problematic because it's actually running counter to liberal democratic values.、Mm. I think、um, not everyone is interested in working on the foundation of things, the philosophy of things. 
um, people get too busy with interacting with China and also with the economic reform, we must say that the kind of collaboration and engagement with China has developed so much uh, that everyone is still on... I think there was still a kind of illusion that China is still the same. It's still the same under Hu Jintao. And somehow, uh, through more interaction, through more opening up, that China will change. I think that illusion is still there because it's been there for so many years. And usually people would think that when the country opens up more, when people go overseas, when people interact with the outside world, then there would be changes made. On the one hand, it's not wrong to say that. But on the other hand, if there are things, there are fundamental things that are not dealt with, are not really spoken about, then we wouldn't understand why people would have a very different concept of very fundamental things, such as what freedom means, what security, safety means, what democracy means. Just to give an example, I have many very liberal-minded friends from China who would say that they don't feel safe in Australia. When I asked them why they said they don't see police around, they don't see a lot of surveillance. But we have a very different concept of security. If we see a lot of police around, armed police around, we don't feel safe. But when people are used to the kind of safety that is provided to them, which is surveillance, because this kind of morality, politics, comes with surveillance. I call it vicious cycle, because this kind of morality politics is based upon fundamental distrust in human beings. I call it paradox of trust. So high trust in the leader as a moral authority, but absolutely no trust in human beings, in, in, in ordinary human beings. Absolutely no trust. So when this is built... When this morality politics built upon that, you can't trust people to be a good people. You can't trust people to be um, autonomous moral agents. What you do to discipline them, then you need surveillance. You need discipline, and you need more surveillance and more discipline to make sure that they can prove thus, themselves to be good enough for the nation. And when people are used to that kind of surveillance, and then surveillance couched in terms of paternalistic care that we do this because this is for your own good. You don't know any better. We have all those cameras, we have all those uh, police, they're there to protect you because you can't protect yourself. So then that would shape people's concept of what security means. And if we don't deal with those things, then we end up living in that um, illusion, thinking that somehow one day people would see the difference and they would actually long for uh, the real freedom. Uh, That's not going to happen. Delia, thanks for inculcating us. Thank you, Dina. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Louisa. Thank you, Graham. That was Delia Lim from the University of Melbourne. You've been listening to the Little Red Podcast, which brings you China from beyond the Beijing Beltway. As always, we're on air thanks to support from the Australian Centre on China in the World. Our editor for this episode is Andy Hazel. Our background music is by Susie Wilkins. And our cartoons and gifts are courtesy of Seb Danter. Bye for now.